The Lord gives gifts to every person. Isabel has that gift because mine sounds something like. <laughs> Thank God the Bible says make a joyful noise. It doesn't say that it has to be a pleasing noise. It just means it has to be joyful. Right, Jess? Right, Jess? Just a joyful noise, right, Jess? Just a happy noise. Yeah. Yeah. She's smiling. There's a joy there. Well, I will, I will have to tell you that um, I'm probably going to sweat as much as Brent today. Um, I did not anticipate delivering the Yom Kippur Day of Atonement message. Uh, I have never delivered a Day of Atonement Yom Kippur message. Uh, Brent was supposed to do that. Obviously, the Lord is sovereign, and the Lord gave him an extended vacation both in Israel and on the return from Israel, uh, and so he's down resting. But I can tell you it is even more of a weight to stand here in this place, in this house. See, most of the people at HFF know that Brent has connections to Draper Park. Some of them know that that's through his nephew. Some of them may even know that, you know, he was a part of this church for a while. But the Avery history in this church is rooted a long time ago. The tech team back there today was joking about the console that's uh, the, the desk that's there, and that that was actually probably in the facility when Jim Avery was the pastor here. And in a day and age where our generations buy furniture from stores like Ikea, and they're made to last maybe one biblical cycle and then be thrown away, there's an honor that needs to be bestowed to the pulpit and to the bema of this house. Not only with Justin, who serves as the shepherd of this church now, but the history of the Averys who have taught from this very place. Many, many years, many, many sermons, many, many counseling, many tears, many laughter. See, I too come from the lineage of the Averys. Um, you wouldn't know it by my height, uh, but... I do come from the lineage of the Averys as like an adopted student. It wasn't long ago that uh, right down the road, I got to meet with my wife, Jim Avery, in his retirement apartment and sit and talk to him. Even though he didn't sleep well the night before, even though he wasn't really thrilled with whatever the food was that they had brought and Brent had forgotten to bring him bananas, he wanted to know about my wife and myself, and he wanted to pray over us, and he wanted to pray a blessing over this church, a church that he had never attended personally, but his spirit is all over this church. His legacy is all over this church. So to stand in a place where his legacy and his son's legacy and the family legacy continues on with Draper Park, with the, all of the believers of Jesus who are here, and then also have my extended family with HFF here. Um, it's truly an honor. It's a very deep honor to stand in this place. I also could not bring myself to preach from the pulpit up there. So 
Tonight, I'm going to stand on the floor because that's where I feel like I'm worthy. I feel like I'm not worthy to stand on a pulpit that Jim Avery preached on in the filing cabinets and filing cabinets of notes that still sit in Brent's office right down the road, just waiting for me to get my paws on them. So the Bible says to confess your sin, and I'm in the process of doing so. I don't want to go into atonement holding anything back. So for those of you at Draper Park, um, yesterday, this is the second part of a two-part message. Yesterday, I laid out uh, the multiple different covenants that are throughout the scripture. We talked about the, the covenant and the relationship that God had with Adam and Eve in the garden, what the requirements were for Adam and Eve to uphold their portion of the covenant with God. We talked about, obviously, everybody knows the failure of that. Um, we talked about the Noah covenant, the one where God did everything, and Noah just built the ark. And then the sign of the rainbow that we can say, hey, it doesn't matter how bad the rivers get. It doesn't matter how much the clay doesn't take the rain when it comes in in Oklahoma. God's not going to flood the earth again. We talked about the Abrahamic covenant and the sign of circumcision as the human portion of us doing our part while God then did his part. And we talked about the Mosaic covenant and the Davidic covenant all as foreshadows to progressively build to the fact that one thing is for sure. We fail in our portion of the covenant, and God never does. And that's important when we come to a day like the Day of Atonement. You see, the Day of Atonement was a day that God had instructed Moses and Aaron, the high priest, to come into the most holy place. You know, this wasn't a place that they just willy-nilly went into holy of holies where where the presence of God, the glory of God would dwell. You just didn't go running in there as if you were late for supper. In fact, there was only certain times a year that you were allowed to go in and only certain people were allowed to go into that place. And there was a protocol to approach God in that space. The blood of bulls and rams. There was a burnt offering and there was other sin offerings. We as roots-based Christians, we know all about the sacrificial system and, and we argue over sometimes whether or not it's still relevant for today or what does the offering system look like or what does the priestly system look like. But today we're here because we have a high priest who was the high priest in the garden. It was God himself. One who can enter into the Holy of Holies at any point in time because they don't enter in with strange fire. We enter in with stuff. Some of us enter in with stuff today. Our kids were throwing fits on the way here and we're like, I'm going to end you. Maybe it was your husband. It wasn't my wife, I can promise you that. But there's protocols on how you approach the Lord. There was certain clothes, you had to take a bath. You didn't just come before the Lord after mowing the lawn. You didn't treat the Lord as common, just like the Lord didn't treat us as common when we walked in the garden with him. The Israelites were all to bring two male goats as a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. This was a corporate cleanse. Most of the time when we hear from the pulpits and we think about sin and we talk about sin, which is honestly not that popular anymore to talk about sin anymore, we think about personal responsibility. We have altar calls and we talk about, hey, if you need to get right with the Lord, come down and get right with the Lord. And while that's important, the day of atonement was not a day where individuals were individuals. 
individuals created a family. And the head of that family was God. It's important for us to understand this because right now our culture is teaching us that you're the one that matters. Your self-help, your self-worth, everything's about you. You got to get your best, be your best. All of it's about you. And while there's a time and a place for all of that, the Day of Atonement tells us that the best you is with everybody else. It's with everybody else in the body of Christ. This is important for us to understand because you were never intended to walk the commandments of God, to walk in the Spirit of God by yourself. God would not pour out his Holy Spirit inside of you, give you the cleansing blood of Jesus, and send you to the furthest corner of the earth where there are no people there and say, go spread the gospel with all the gifts and the power I've given you and send you to a place where you're only ministering to penguins, which, by the way, are God's greatest creation. The Lord says, if you have aught with your brother, you were to leave your offering on the doorstep Imagine what it was like at the corporate time of the year when you chose not to obey the commandments of God, when you had aught with your brother and sister, and you're standing in line bringing your Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, offering. And I look over and I'm like, oh, I never did tell Jacob about that time that he made me mad. I never did tell him. Really just, he offended me. And we're standing in line bringing the same exact offerings to the same God for the same atonement, And God says, leave your offering, make it right with your brothers. Make it right with your brothers and sisters. Let alone make it right with your family members. Because a lot of us have angst. A lot of us have anger and hurt and brokenness in our family. I like to call it trauma drama. We have it. Leave your offering and go make it right with the Lord by making it right with your brother and sister. It's part of that corporate mentality that we need family, we need others, we need people. We weren't meant to do it alone. There's only one person who was able to do it alone, and that was perfection. And I can promise you, I am not perfection. But the Bible also says I don't have to be perfection. I just have to be covered by the blood of the perfect sacrifice the perfect atonement. They were to cast lots and they were to sacrifice a goat. I've never sacrificed a goat. I don't, I don't know what that process entails. I don't know what it looks like. I hope I'm never in that situation. I'm not a farmer by trade. I, this is as farm as I get is putting on a flannel when it's still 85 degrees outside. I don't know what that's like. But they were to sacrifice one as a sin offering and then the other one was to be cast into the wilderness. And so they would lay their hands on and as a representation of sins of the nation, the corporate sins. When the, the priests went to put their hands on, they weren't putting their hands on for their sins. It wasn't like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go ahead and cast out my sin, Pastor Chris's sin onto this goat. No, as, as the shepherd is the priest, they were saying, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to lay hands on this goat and I'm going to lay... I'm going to lay hands on that goat for the sins for Jacob and for Robin and for Matthew and for for Chris and for Ian and for Luke and for, for everyone. And they would take and they would speak and they would represent 
as a representative, kind of like Moses was and Abraham was, and we have all of those people throughout the progressive covenants we talked about as a representation for the entire body of Israel, the entire nation. It was a cleanse for all people. And that goat would go into the wilderness. Without blood, we die. Without blood, we die. If I were to drain the blood of your body, you would die. But without blood in the scripture, we also die. Yeah, you might be alive in the physical sense because you have blood inside your tabernacle of flesh. But in the Old Testament under the Mosaic law, if there wasn't the shedding of blood, there was no remission of sins. If Jesus doesn't die, if there isn't a covering of blood, if there isn't the perfect blood and the perfect atonement, if his blood isn't on the Ark of the Covenant covering the mercy seat, then every year without a temple, we got no atonement. If Jesus wasn't Mashiach, if he wasn't the perfect lamb, if he isn't the perfect sacrifice, we got no temple. So here we stand on the day of atonement on Yom Kippur, and we got what? I urged you all, and it seems like you all were in agreement with me. Thank you. It's a Pentecost moment. We were all in agreement. You did not bring any bulls or goats to this place today. Would have been highly awkward. This is why we must understand what was in order to understand exactly what Jesus was doing. Jesus didn't come to just start something new. He didn't just come and say, hey, you know, today I feel like I'm just going to just do something. No, he came to a people who were stuck in a system, who were a part of a system that was incomplete. That system was never meant to be the final system. The sacrificial system in the temple was never meant to be the end all to be all. It was a place where God could dwell in his spirit and we could approach him in a protocol in a manner that was honoring to him. But when Jesus came, everything changed. And what we saw is we saw that the leadership, the pharisaical leadership of that time was so worried about what they thought was the spirit of God behind the veil and in a system that they absolutely missed the spirit, the word, and the presence of the living God right in front of their face. This is extremely important for us to understand because if it happened to some of the most studied, Pharisees get a bad rap. They were some of the most astute people on the Bible. They devoted their entire life to studying scripture. And yes, I understand like any person would do. If you, if you study some profession, you add your own elements to it, your own experience, your own culture to it. But they knew the words of Moses. They knew the covenants. They knew the protocol. They knew the process better than almost anybody. They would have been considered the experts. And they missed him. The experts on the word of God missed God in the flesh. Wow. And yet, some fishermen and some younger guys and some ladies, we like to, Mary had a big role in the first chapter, the first opening scenes of the movie, and then Mary just kind of gets kind of kicked back a little bit. But women had a huge portion of Jesus' ministry. In fact, for the most part, women were the underwriters for the majority of the ministry of Jesus. 
that's important for us to understand. Because Jesus didn't come just for the Jewish people. He didn't just come for the Gentile people. He didn't just come for the male or for the female. Jesus was providing a way into covenant, into a garden-like relationship with God for all who would humble themselves and call upon his name as salvation. Today, traditionally, is a day where we wear all white there's a little bit of a, an angst, like, is God going to accept us? Is he going to accept our offering? There's a heaviness that comes with the Day of Atonement in Yom Kippur. Anybody who's been in the roots base of Christianity for any years and have gone through these, there's a real heaviness that comes with it. And I understand that. There should be a somber nature to when you think back about what had to happen in order for you to be cleansed of your sins. It wasn't free. It wasn't easy. God gave the ultimate price and the ultimate sacrifice for us. However, we don't live pre the life of Jesus. For some reason, God saw fit that each and every one of you in this room were to be alive after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. I'm not God, but if he saw fit for us to be alive in these days, there's a reason why we're here. I trust his divine nature. I trust his wisdom. And so if we're alive in a day post the death, resurrection, and ascension of God to the right hand of God the Father, Jesus Christ, all authority, all majesty, name higher than any other name is given to him. If this is the time we live in, which I believe is the time we leave in. That's what the Bible says, and I believe the word of God. Then, yes, it's okay for us to come in somber. It's okay for us to remember. It's okay for us to be humble before the king. But at some point in time in this, uh, this gathering, we have to stop making it a time of mourning and a time of celebration. Because I can only fathom what it was like pre-Jesus. Bringing my offering, seeing you guys bring your offering. We're all coming up there and we're like, I pray that the Lord is gracious and merciful to us today. I pray that this offering is acceptable. I pray that the high priest doesn't screw this one up. I pray that we don't die. All of those types of things. But now we have the greatest sacrifice the greatest sacrifice, Jesus Christ, who willingly gave his life so that all those times that we knew what we were doing, you knew what you were doing when you turned on your computer screen. You knew what you were doing when the guy cut you off and you had the opportunity to put your hand in your pocket and you raised it. You knew what you were doing when you opened your mouth and said what you said. You knew what you were doing when you saw somebody drop their wallet and the money came out and you're like, oh, I'll go get them later and you put it in your pocket. You knew what you were doing when you stole something from your neighbor. You knew what you were doing. And there's no offering in the Mosaic system for you to be able to come and say, Lord, I knew what I was doing. I'm going to try to tell you I didn't know what I was doing. But it's, it's a futile argument because... I already know you know my heart. And so you know I knew what I was doing and I did it anyways. And there's no, there's no atonement for this, 
There's no offering for, for my willful rebellion of sin. Um, but hey, hey, can you offer me some grace? He went to the cross after being beaten. He hung on a cross. He didn't take himself down. He didn't, he didn't lose his life quickly. He hung there in anguish for every time that we took the money that we said we were going to give back. Or we watched the movie that we knew we shouldn't be watching. Or we said the thing to the other person that we knew we shouldn't have said and we did it anyways. Every time you do that, I want you to think back to the cross. The time he hung there, bleeding. I've never had a nail through my hand. I had a splinter once. It was painful. I can only imagine what a massive stake would be like through my wrists, through my hands. We're not going to get into the scholarship arguments of where exactly it was. Either way, I don't want to feel it. I'm sure he didn't want to feel it either. But he did it. And he did it willingly for each person in this room. Kids in this room, some of you are young and some of you may not remember Yom Kippur services. You may not remember all the things that are said in the liturgy and all of that. Jesus died for your sins. Because if Jesus didn't die for your sins, sooner or later you would have had to die for your sins. Because Without blood, we die. Without the blood of Christ, there is an end to us. Because there's no gift we can give him. There's no action we can do. We can't walk ourselves into salvation. We can't even save ourselves. The day of atonement, just like Good Friday, I said that a couple times from the pulpit, I want two Good Friday services I'd love to have 40 Good Friday services. More and more you remember exactly the sacrifice that God gave you. The more you would think twice about the things you do. The more we think about just exactly how excruciating that was, the more we would step up to the plate and say, enough is enough. There's people in this room who've been warm for, with stuff for 30, 40 years. There's people in this room who've been warm with stuff for a long time. Some days you say, why, why war? Why, why should I even war? Why should I war with it anymore? I'll tell you why. Because God didn't take himself off the cross when it got hard. In fact, if anything, if you look at the ministry of Jesus, Christ, the hardest moments of his entire life, his entire ministry was not when he was getting started. It wasn't when he first said, oh, goody, I didn't realize how big of a problem we had down here. It was when he got in and he started walking the walk and talking the talk and teaching and spreading the gospel. And they came and they said, oh, we're the teachers of the law. You don't get to tell us what the law says. You don't get to tell us that we're wrong. And they crucified him for it. The worst moments of his life were the last moments of his life. The hardest moments of his life were not the first moments of his life. It was the last moments of his life. So those moments this week, when you're warring with something, you're like, ah, I just can't do it anymore. Remember, it's going to get tougher. 
And then sooner or later, whatever it is you're warring with, it will die. And when it dies, by the way, it's not going to happen by your might and by your power. It's going to happen by his might and his power and his spirit, because that's what the holy word of God says. So maybe you need to die so that his spirit and his power can start manifesting itself in your war. But sooner or later, it dies. And when it dies, it's born again. I don't care how you were born. I don't care if you were born wealthy. I don't care if you were born that way. I don't care if you were born. I don't care. I don't care how you were born. You were born rich. You were born poor, male, female. Okay. Doesn't matter. The Bible says you have to be born again. Not just the water, but by the Spirit. So whatever your circumstances is, whatever you're wrestling with, whatever you need atonement for this year, all of it was put on the cross by Jesus. He bore it. He took it. And he invited you into an opportunity back through him. See, the blood of bull and goats, it was necessary the Israelites had continuously not kept up their portion of the bargain. God kept keeping his covenants and keeping his covenants and keeping his covenants. And they did nothing. And this was a way for them to practice on a regular basis. I'm bringing it to you. If you have your Bibles or your phone apps, turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 11. See, this was a day of great sorrow. This was a day of great fear. Can you imagine what it would be like? We talk about it in a futuristic tense when the judgment day of the Lord comes and and we stand before the Lord and we have to give an account and we want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And, and, And the fear of like, that's what we want to hear. We don't want to hear the Lord reading all these sins and then saying, hey, sorry, I never knew you. We talk about that all the time as if it's a futuristic thing. That's here, it's now. It's every day of your life. And on the Day of Atonement and on Yom Kippur, it should be even more prevalent in your thought process that the Lord is constantly looking, watching, and walking with you. For us, the ones who call Jesus as our salvation, we have hope. And many of you in this room come from years and years and years of talking about the fall feast in a fear-based way, in a very judgmental way, in a way where we talk about this king who will come with a sword. And I believe that will happen. But that's not the guy who comes every time you call on him. That's not the Mashiach, who laid down his life. See, that's the beautiful thing about Jesus, is Jesus was so much more perfect to do the various different ways to interact. I still struggle figuring out, like, when my wife gives me a look, it's like, are you, is that the mad look, the good look? Did I do the right thing? Did I not? Like, Jesus was perfection in even those types of things. He was perfection in people. Why? Because he was fully human and fully God. Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 11. 
Actually, before we read this, Isabel, will you come back and blow the shofar again for me? We talked about, yeah, you can come up. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago at the Feast of Trumpets, that there's a walk-up song that Jesus has. When you hear the sound of the shofar, that means Jesus is near. And we're going to shift this service a little bit. We're going to shift it from a time of more mourning and thinking and reflection. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the promises of the hope that we have in Jesus. And so before we shift that, will you go ahead and blow the shofar for me? Good job. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. We're not talking about the tabernacle in the wilderness. We're not talking about the beautiful temples, the two that were there. It was a perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of bulls and goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. An eternal redemption. This wasn't an annual redemption. An eternal redemption. Christ didn't come back every, every Yom Kippur, every day of atonement and say, I'm back. You guys screwed up this year. I got to crucify myself again and go into the Holy of Holies again. No. By his own blood, he secured an eternal redemption for human beings. For if the blood of bulls, of goats and bulls, and the sprinkling of the defiled persons with the ashes of the heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You can bring the greatest offering, the most perfect gift. But if you're not serving the living God, it's dead works. I can, I can preach out of my gifting. She can sing out of her gifting. But if it's not out of the living God, the presence of the living God through the anointing of God, it's dead works. A lot of us get into dead works. We're just, we're used to going through the motions every year, the feast cycle, the festivals, whether it's Sunday church, it's Saturday church, everyday church. I wish we had church every day. But there's a difference between just going through the motions and having the presence and the power of God to purify you and why you do what you do. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. We talked about this yesterday. If I go to the bank and I take out a loan to buy a business and I have no money in my account, they are not going to allow me to guarantee the loan. We had Moses attempt to guarantee the, the loan on behalf of the Israelites. David, the king of Israel, attempted to guarantee the loan on behalf of the Israelites. 
Saul, all these other people, Abraham, all these other people attempted to. And some of them were successful for a while. Some of them were righteous in the sight of God. They weren't all evil. They weren't all bad. Some of them accomplished exactly what the Lord asked them to accomplish. But there's a perfect mediator who gave himself as a ransom. There's a perfect guarantee when God comes, Emmanuel, God with us in the flesh, and God says, I'm the guarantee, I'm the executor of this covenant, I'm the executor of this agreement, there will be no failure be no shortcomings. It's not like it's on me. It's on the creator of all the universe. Guess what? I think he has insider trading. He knows what's about to happen and he's working with his father. That's the guy I want to be with. Not with this. Because just like everybody else in this room, I need a savior. For two years of my life, I told God to leave in a lot worse terms. And he never left. In those two years, I wasn't a believer. I wasn't in the church. I wasn't doing anything. In fact, I had some massive trauma, drama, church hurt. And yet he brought me my wife. And it was through my wife, who wasn't a believer, who brought me back to Christ. And she wasn't even a believer. Why? Because he kept his part of the covenant when I cried on him and he cried out to me and said, it's about time you came home. And when I came home at 21 years old through my wife, when I came home at 21 years old, he was the prodigal son's dad out there saying, I've been here the whole time. I don't care what you squandered. I'm your mediator. I'm your guarantor. Welcome home, son. Welcome home. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. You have an eternal inheritance. A kingdom that's not of this world. For where a will is involved in the death of the one who made it is established. For a will takes effect on the death since it is not enforced as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. There's that thing, without blood we die. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool, hyssop, and sprinkled them both on the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that Yahweh commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both on the tent and all the vessels that were used for worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. This is a time of year where we need to remember that the decisions we make on a day-in and day-out basis has consequences. And yes, sometimes we get to see the consequences from the standpoint of, I might hurt your feelings, or we might have to get right with each other, and it might take us a period of time. But there's other ripple effects and, and situations that take place when we sin. Some of them are generational. Some of you in this room have fought off those generational curses. And you shed a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. For Christ has entered into the holy place made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly. It isn't annually. He doesn't come back every Yom Kippur and sacrifice himself over and over and over again. 
nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood, not of his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundations of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for man to die once. And after that comes the judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Sometimes we forget he's coming to save. He flooded the earth to save humanity. He's merciful. He's gracious. We think of an abuse of God during the Day of Atonement where it's like he needed these sacrifices to make it right. He's coming to save for those who are eagerly waiting for him. We're not eagerly waiting for him because we're hiding out in the wilderness. We're not eagerly waiting for him because we know the specific day of the Lord or the return of the kingdom. We're not eagerly waiting for him while we sit down and we write our own books with our own eschatology and our own thought processes. The Bible says that we are to eagerly wait for him by going into the world and preaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Spirit and the Son. That's not even just talking about going to our churches. It's to go to our cities. I can promise you right now, out of the thousands of people who are in the local area around this church and our home church down in Norman, how many of those thousands of people have no idea about the Day of Atonement? How many of them are in need of saving and they don't even know that they're in need of saving, let alone the ones who actually know they need saving, but they have no idea where to turn. There used to be a day where Christians were more worried about what happened out there than coming in here and saying, hey, we're good, right? Like we're buddies. Like there was a day where the social club was more interested in affecting change out there being Christ to the nations than it was just about preserving whatever ritualistic and religious type of things we did. There was a day where the church was the beacon of the community. And we've gotten to a point in time where we like to bash the church. Guess what? You can't bash the church if you're busy doing the work of God. Because your thoughts and your focuses and your ideas are on the mission of God. They're not on what we're doing. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody needs a Savior. We should be eagerly waiting on the guy who said he's coming back to save us. Jesus Christ, Yeshua HaMashiach, the Lord of Lords, the Prince of Peace. And today, as believers in Jesus who are marked by the name and covered by the blood. This is a day to have the protocol of respect and honor, but it's also a day for us to stand up and shout to the rooftops because we know that we have a high priest who only had to go in once. We know we have a high priest who is the perfect offering. We don't have to worry about the perfect offering anymore. We weren't the perfect offering and we could never bring the perfect offering. He was and is and is to come the perfect offering. The only thing we have to do is humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God and extol him to the highest. That's all we have to do. We're singing majesty. Stand and worship with me. Majesty. Your grace has found me just as I am. Empty 
Bye.